Every leader has a strategy. Executing on that strategy is the challenge. If you want to learn how to effectively achieve what you've set out to accomplish, then this show is for you. Gain keen insights and listen in as leaders share their stories and challenges. Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation welcome you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hi everyone, I'm Duffy Dixon. Welcome to Leader Dialogue, brought to you by Soar Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. Joining me is Ben Sawyer. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Soar Vision Group. Next to him is Lisa Council. She is the Chief Commercial Officer. And our special guest for week two, we're so happy, is uh, Dr. Lee Hamby. He is the Chief Medical Officer at Piedmont Healthcare. Piedmont is the largest healthcare provider in Georgia. And we say week two because when we get our guests to come back for a week, uh, we'd like to do what we call a deep dive. So we're going to take some of the stuff we've talked about and we're going to expand on it. So we have a lot to cover. So Ben, take it away. So as a reminder for our listeners, <clears throat> we will be referencing the organizational hierarchy of need, which you can find on the homepage of the leaderdialogue.com website. And dialogue is again spelled D-I-A-L-O-G-U-E, not the not the dialogue of like a computer interaction. So um, welcome uh, to our listeners, and welcome, Dr. Hamby. Thanks for coming back for week two. We really appreciate it. Um, it was a really interesting conversation hearing your experience and and what you've been working on uh, within Piedmont Health System. And one of the things we had said we would do for the listeners is try to summarize some of the key takeaways that create the basis for this deep dive conversation. So you had talked about the journey towards standardization and the ability to take MUDA or waste out and by doing so really get to some transformational performance. But we also sort of tipped into the fact that from a scaling standpoint, that could be challenging. Can you, for the listeners, just kind of explain that as it relates to the challenge and then we can talk about some of the other things that help us address that? Sure. Um, we're all familiar with different hospital-acquired infection prevention bundles. Uh, we spent a lot of time defining those bundles in a standardized way and, and what I call fanatically measuring compliance with those. And, you know, the nurses appreciate that, but they're like, okay, how many more of these are we going to have? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, and they're like, well, there's only so much sort of box-clicking standard work that we can we can do. And so that that is kind of our challenge, right? How do you right. scale... I mean, we start thinking about all the things and different aspects of care that we'd like to have standardized. It's almost infinite. Uh, but So that's not going to get us there. So that is one of the struggles that we have. Right. And so it's interesting in organizational development, there's like this tension between strategy, operational mechanisms, and operational structure that seem to be in balance. And one of the things that comes to mind as we describe that is in other industries they have done some interesting things for example with structure to help decompress some of these frontline people a good good example is the airline industry right so they intentionally put together uh, a core mission control or or you know air traffic control hub to basically be able to decompress the pilots decompress the the gate agents and so forth so those people could do what they needed to do but not have to worry about a number of other things that actually could be handled by the hub um, so are there opportunities like that in in healthcare that you see or is the inertia that we talked about in the first show an impediment to be thinking in a innovative way about 
those kinds of opportunities? I think the answer is both. When you when you talk about, you get a bunch of people in the room and you talk about how do we want to improve something. The first order of business is, this is how we think other people should improve, right? That's sort of step number one. That's not just with doctors, that's everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And then these are all the new resources that we need. And, you know, at the end of the day, at the macro level, there's not more resources coming. We're bankrupt in this country as it is now yeah. mm-hmm. in healthcare, And so to me, the, the sweet spot is instead of finding something that you don't like doing and getting someone else to do it, let's find stuff that nobody needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a lot more of that than most people are willing to believe. There's always well, Joint Commission says you have to you have to. And I'm sort of notorious for show me in the book where it says you have to, right? <laughs> CMS says you have to. You got to show me. And so we spent a lot of time debunking things like that. Uh, so to me, that's part of it. And the other part of it is the inertia I find is because two things. People think we're going as fast as we can. How could I possibly do any more? You know, the old Lucille Ball chocolates yeah, on the conveyor yes, belt. Exactly. Right. And the other thing that's is that what we're doing is working really well uh, until they themselves go have to be a patient in a healthcare environment where they identify the 475 things that could be done better. Uh, and so tapping into that, what we all know to be true, uh, is sort of a, a challenge that, that all of us have. So I, I think both of those answers are part of the, the so for the So for the purpose of, of the conversation, and we're going to link a number of things to this, for the listeners, let's think about um, transformation or improvement essentially as a three-legged stool, right? So on one leg of the stool, you have to be able to deal with uh, what you had described as fix versus find, right? In other words, really own and tackle what you've got and be able to think differently about your organization. Another leg of the stool is innovation, and we'll need to define innovation because innovation in, in the context you just gave is meaningful innovation. In other words, transformation versus just coming up with new ideas that may or may not have a fit. And then linking those two is really a successful performance excellence journey, right? As opposed to pie in the sky or aspirational or whatever. It's like meaningful, that that kind of stuff. So in that context, with that those, those three legs of the stool, um, and let's linger a minute on the inertia thing, because you, you start off on that. What are things that just health systems in general, and if you have specific examples within Piedmont, so much the better, that they need to be able to look at differently, that they're making assumptions that actually are just adding to the inertia and the inability to get stuff done. If they look at it a a little bit differently, that they could innovate or transform. No, I I think uh, the notion that as providers, we have to be in the room with the patient in order for care to happen Uh, I mean, even as a surgeon, I remember thinking early in my career, when I sat up and sort of thought about what I would look like doing my job, 60% of what I do is exchanging information. Hey, I've got Mm -hmm. a gallbladder problem. Let me tell you about your disease. Here's what's happening. It has nothing to do with taking the, you know, the 15 minutes that happens in the operating room. And so getting really clear about those things that can be delivered in some other means and sort of getting over ourselves that is really hard and complicated. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Google does a lot, right? And so uh, finding, and so really figuring out what is the true value that we bring as providers to patients in a way that's unique that, that only we can do, uh, I think is, is probably, the, probably the most important question we could all ask ourselves as yeah. providers. Now you said in the previous radio show that 
you have skepticism sometimes about meetings as to their ability to be able to be transformational. In other words, people come together, they do have a discussion, but the outcome is not necessarily yeah. insight. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and one of the things that we do for any of our improvement teams is first thing you have to do is go to the Gimba and watch people interact and do sort of what they do before right. you have any ideas about how it needs to be fixed. Um, and I will say there is a struggle sometimes with uh, you know, this notion that the frontline person always has the best ideas. And I, that's not always true either. And so there's a combination of those who are doing the work, with those who have the ability to think about the work in a little bit more abstract terms, kind of having a dialogue and a conversation together about what are your pain points? What do you think the patient's experience is that needs to be because people know about the clunky processes they have right. to use. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and no one's just ever asked them about it or give them any ability to actually do something about it. Um, yeah, empowerment, I think, is key there, right? Have they been empowered to really go change what's broken? Yeah, and, and don't start with trying to fix length of stay as your first project, right? right. Start with something small that, that people can see a, a short-term win, you know, in their, in their department or in their unit helps garner support for some larger effort. So, uh, Lisa, I'm going to key off on what you just talked about because empowerment is foundational, obviously, Absolutely. to everything that we talked about in terms of this kind of a journey. And and uh, John Cotter's work out of Harvard uh, showed in his research that only 5% of workers in general understand how what they do connects to the strategy. So by default, they just do what they think is right, which, again, can be an enemy of standard work. And he did another interesting study, by the way, you, you probably have read this, Lee, but he, he uh, wanted to see the level of engagement of middle managers in the, in the strategic plan. So he took six strategic plans, redacted the names, put them in a conference room, and then had middle managers come in. All they had to do was find their organization's strategic plan, and only 29% of them could even find it. Sounds about right. So it, so it says something about mm -hmm. uh, empowerment. So let's summarize before we move over to the other leg of the stool and talk about innovation and transformation what are kind of the key inertia busters right you've described a couple but are there other for the listening audience things that they need to think about when they're talking about inertia busters yeah, well to me the the one that that we've had the most luck with is is again fixing what you already know instead of finding new stuff um and some of the challenges that come with that um, a lot of people have, it's almost a, a, a moral conflict in their mind about, well, all these bad things could be happening and we're not looking for them. I'm like, well, all these bad things have already happened and we're not working on it. So, so the degree to which people get comfortable with not fixing that which we already know mm -hmm. sort of astounds me, but it, it seems to be a pretty common finding. Um, and again, I think uh, any degree to which anybody could have go be a patient for a period of time or, or tap into that experience of being a patient or a customer uh, is really helpful. I, I'd love to find a way, and I haven't figured out how to do this, get people to swap jobs for some period of time, right. uh, you know, to walk a mile in the, in the customer's shoe. Uh, there are particularly notorious conflicts within hospitals of groups of people who often blame the other group mm -hmm. for oh, their yeah. travails. That's, that's any organization. <laughs> yeah, and, and putting them together and flipping it. 
I've done a couple of those, and those are kind of fun. So. Yeah, we actually do. We, we try to encourage as we do teams or rounding, you know, don't get on the team of what you do every day, right? right? Get on with someone that you're going to learn something and you're going to gain insight from them. Um, because, again, we all do, we see through our lens of every day of what we're accustomed to doing. Right. So in terms of inertia busting, you have to start with the understanding that what you do now is, is not the best, and you have to be willing then to fix as opposed to just find new ways of doing things. Um, and you have to be able to be quite focused on it, right? So the, the notion of meeting Stu that Patrick Lencioni talks about where you come together and what was the purpose of this meeting and what are we trying to accomplish and how is it tied to strategy? Those are important uh, inertia busters. I will say that um, you also have to balance that with over managing a meeting yes you know certain folks like all kinds of fancy tools and spreadsheets and to the point where it becomes a means and into the means uh of filling out the spreadsheet versus what are we really trying to accomplish um so it's a balance and again if if people don't feel like what they're talking about is relevant to them and it's really making a difference then you shouldn't be having the meeting but it's a challenge i mean yeah uh we as a species tend to want to be together and socialize together even if what we do has no meaning purpose or are effective at all right uh it's um, getting people to truly understand this is a true baldrige contract how effective is what you do right uh and and if it is how do you measure it right that's probably the single most i don't know uh defining Powerful. question you can ask in any group of people who are struggling with stuff is how do you measure the effectiveness of what you right. do uh, and they'll say, well, because people like it. Really? Do they? Mm-hmm. Uh, very insightful questions. And then right. sort of if you can get them ready to do something different, that's when the doors open and you can get Right. So thinking. objective measurements of comparative results. Yeah. That drive, that drive action and behavior. Okay. So let's pivot over to innovation. So um, <clears throat> some people have a little bit of a challenge with the term innovation. Um, talk to us about that. Why, why, why some people may go off on the wrong path when they're talking about innovation. Well, I I certainly put myself in that camp. Uh, You know, as a surgeon, I saw my job was to try to execute on the operations that have already been developed before me. I didn't feel like I needed to invent new operations. And sometimes, (laughs) you know, inventing new operations uh, for old problems can can be hazardous. However, a lot of the stuff that gets done in surgery, like any other medical, is because somebody had the courage to try something different that needed to be done different. Right. Mm-hmm. I personally uh, am more of a let's implement what I already know versus creating new stuff. Uh, but I am appreciative that there are people out there that can look at problems in a way. I do think that the term innovation is overused, you know, by consultants and commercials and that sort of thing. The people that I've seen, either personally or, you know, the things that I read about, those innovations have become because they had a problem they could not solve and they set about solving it. They didn't necessarily set out to create something new and different. Right. They just knew what they had right then wasn't working and they needed something better. Uh, and to me, that's sort of the honest path of innovation yes. mm-hmm. versus manufactured innovation, which is we're going to create something different, which is take what you already had and rearrange it. See, now it's different. Yeah. Uh, not so much. Or do some, for the sake some, of new. Some will create yeah. the innovation as a, as a desire for a revenue stream as well. So, you know, there's lots of reasons to go down that innovation path, but yours is much more practical and pragmatic. So I don't, problems. so I don't know who did the quote, but necessity is the mother of, of invention kind of gets to the point that you're talking about. So maybe for the purpose of this conversation, we talk about transformation 
versus innovation because transformation says we have something that we're doing that either isn't adequate or or done poorly mm, or there's point. waste or whatever yep. so how do we approach it differently and say how can we transform that in other words how do we start with necessity and get to essentially you know mothering innovation um, examples of that within either Piedmont or you know your years of experience in healthcare where it's about transformation and you've seen times where that's applied because of the focus on fix versus find uh, and, and seeing some pretty dramatic results. Well, I think in our own uh, system quality office, we started because Piedmont Atlanta, which is our big facility, got a D in LeapFrog. I think this was about 2014, 2015. And for the people who worked there, who worked there for a long time, that really did not resonate who, who we thought we were. Right. Uh, and so we realized and we got serious about putting in all these bundles and compliance measures that we've talked about. When we had our first round of success, none of that success came from the quality department, uh, which really kind of made me think about, well, maybe we're not doing quality right. And so if we wanted to move to a fixing thing department versus a counting thing department, how would we do that? And, right. and we started by redesigning the quality work sort of from the ground up to be less sit in your office and send out emails of, hey, I found something else for you to work on, to here's something that we think is better than the way we've been doing it. We're going to stand by your side to help you get comfortable doing it this new way. Uh, and one of our chief nurses, when we started talking about this, she goes, look, I mean, implementation is the hard part. You're just thinking new ideas that you're going to put in my lap. I need help on the implementation side. And, and her comment in a meeting actually fundamentally changed our whole redesign to have you know, all hands on deck for these implementations. Because that's where the, you know, if you really want to try to understand something, just try to change it, right? That's right. And that's the way we learn on the ground is trying to change these things side by side with the people who are trying to make those changes. So that actually goes to the third leg of the stool, which is performance excellence links the two, right? If you yep. have inertia, you have to be able to look at it differently. If you want to fix it, you have to be able to, in, to transform uh, in a meaningful way. And to do that, now we're now we're tipping into the real work of performance excellence part of which is the understanding of what's actually going on like walk a day in the shoes and also empowerment so talk to us a little bit about empowerment and how do you achieve that within an organization uh and and empowerment is as much you know empowering quality to go to the front line as well as front line to be able to be engaging and then they're working together on solving uh, a shared challenge so um, I'm going to put sort of process reliability and, and engagement uh, I'm going to change gears a little bit so we have found uh, the concept of what I think of as empowerment around our error uh, prevention tools yeah and so we have 11 of those we talk to people about it and we ask them to recite them from memory we have a total recall club you get your picture on the website yeah uh, and so one of those obviously is is about speaking up, ask a question, raise a concern, request a change, go up the chain of command. And so to do that, we have safety coaches spattered. We have 500 safety coaches around our organization who are people in regular day jobs, but whose job it is to watch and interact and say, hey, that was a great use of the air prevention tool, or hey, maybe next time try a read back and verify. And, and, and every single time we do that, 
to me, the most engaged group of people are the people who are cleaning our patient rooms. The, mm. the wow. environmental service people are the best safety coaches we have. You know why? Because they don't think twice about telling the doctor, hey, you forgot to wash your hands in yeah. that room. That's this awesome. is my room. These are my that's patients. Right. Don't you go spreading germs on my Now, that's right. empowerment. If you and that's and to right. me, I, I am so humbled when I get with those people because we don't give safety coaches a bump of pay. They get a T-shirt. And they work hard for that T-shirt, and they are the, the the greatest group of people to speak up. And if I could get doctors to do that, you know, our job would be done. And So true. And so I really love that sense of empowerment. When you give those people something they can own that connects to the vision of the organization, yes. mm-hmm. that they see that I'm not about cleaning the room. I'm about keeping germs out. That's right. Uh, they really take that so much more seriously than the rest of us do. I'm always very humbled by that. Yeah, I, I've had similar experiences where, you know, the EDS person's like, hey, you left an IV in here, or there's a, there's a stool in the toilet that, you know, so I can't clean this room until right. that's done, so please get that work done. So this concept of being able to link people's actions to a combined and shared strategy, which for listeners, let's just describe as kind of a North Star statement of purpose, so that they're not just doing something as a technical you know check the check in the box but really thinking about it and making sure like you said that an EBS person sees themselves as contributing to the quality of the organization how do you how do you do that at an organizational level i think you have to have uh measurable things observable activities that you can measure that let's say we're going to go focus on hand hygiene yeah right and so we use our patients reported hand hygiene so patients are the one evaluating for us for that and so when a an executive group decides they're going to go focus on hand hygiene you'll see those results almost you know transform overnight if they start Mm -hmm. doing it right in front of the patients and Mm -hmm. talking to patients about it so connecting the work that people have not only with a larger sense of purpose but make it so they can see visibly that what they're doing is being recognized on a dashboard or whatever uh, really sort of help. it becomes a, a momentum that uh, doesn't require a lot of ongoing maintenance right uh, it sort of drives itself that's also a really interesting way to connect them to customer loyalty right because the customer is giving feedback around mm-hmm. hey I'm observing this so it really connects the dots to what the organization is trying to, to do uh, from the standpoint of performance improvement organizations address those in different ways right so sometimes there are big performance excellence departments and uh, people throw stuff over the fence to them and say, hey, can you charter a, an event? Let's do Kaizen, let's whatever. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that. From your standpoint of, of looking at overcoming inertia and, and transforming, and then that link to performance excellence, we talked about the linkage to strategy, right? So that's obviously what has to define it. But in terms of the mechanics of performance excellence, do you have some suggestions or insights there? Well, we, we have a very set of specific focus measures. We have a lot of dashboards and scorecards, and we have our quality safety service scorecard that has, uh, I want to say, 75 measures on it. Um, so we have it uh, as, a, as an, idiom, an, uh, an, an idiom that we're not going to work on anything that's not on that scorecard. So if you've got a particular problem at your facility around, I don't know, cold lunches or something cold food you know you need to work on that but you're not going to use one of our sort of a cust- our uh, commission train you know performance improvement resources for something like that and so the other thing that we and again I, I don't know if we're right or wrong but our current evolution is there really isn't much improvement opportunity that isn't system-wide right so right the ability to change something at one facility 
if if what it needs to be changed at your facility needs to be changed, then we all should change it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's this sort of dynamic of it, by the time you get small enough to be able to work on something, it now becomes irrelevant, right? Mm-hmm. By the time you get big enough to make it compelling, you've boiled the okay. ocean mm-hmm. and you can't get anything done. And yep. so that sort of back and forth is where we live on a regular basis of trying to focus on the few things that matter that we can drive improvement on uh, that keeps everybody kind of engaged. And it's a it's an ongoing dialogue and, and everybody being really clear about what their roles and responsibilities are. If I'm a CEO of a hospital, my role and responsibility is implementation of standard work. If I don't think the standard work is any good, I can talk about it. I can make a request that it be revisited. I can tell about an article I saw, but I can't commission a local improvement team to change that standard work. Yep. All right. And that is a, that level of discipline is, has been a challenge, but I think it's actually quite liberating. Once you know, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. So when we come out with a new measure, if we have not defined the standard work, when they're read on their scorecard, that's on me. Because mm-hmm. I haven't defined the standard work yet, right. right? And so we have a couple of those right now that, you know, we have a monthly operations review, and normally we, we beat on them about why aren't you hitting your numbers on your process measures? Forget outcome, but you got to be compliant with standard work. Now they're saying, when are you going to give us our standard work? And so getting those roles and responsibilities uh, clarified is really important. Yeah. And from the last radio show, just want to bring our audience back. Um, Dr. Hamby, you talked about harm, quality, safety, and service. Really kind of your primary North stars. I mean, again, you're, you've got primary categories. Just want to make sure that as our audience is, is following along, uh, that they understand, again, those are top priorities for Piedmont Healthcare. And any initiative that's um, coming to your table needs to align with those, with those categories. And growth, talent, and stewardship are supporting cast members. Right. No reason to grow if it's not going to improve quality, safety, and service. So not surprisingly, what we're ending up with in this deep dive discussion is leadership and the challenges of leadership. So talk to us a little bit about that because again, Piedmont's a very complex organization. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, healthcare in general is that what marks a really effective leader within this context that we are talking about? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I, I can tell you how we try to manage that. Um, uh, we have very um, intense, uh, exhausting offsites where it, it, we call it speed dating, right? So we have like, I don't know, 19 executives. We have one for every facility. We've got one for the physician enterprise. We've got some corporate execs. So we sit down and we say, you know what, Ben, this is what I like about what you're doing. I need you to do more of this. And this is what I need you to start doing less of, right? Ding, bell rings, you go to the next <laughs> yeah. one. Right? Wow. And we do that. <laughs> We do it online uh, once a year, and we do it face-to-face once a year. Uh, and so getting sort of That's this, uh, you know, Lencioni thing about foundation of trust, trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, we've spent a lot of time on that, knowing what everybody's profile is and say, you know what, you're not an idiot. You're just acting the way you're hardwired, and this is what's in conflict for me. How do we work together? Yeah. And, and to me, it's, it, is, it is like a marriage or any other long-term intense relationship. It takes work. Right. And it's exhausting work for me who doesn't really enjoy So you have 19 sort of wives? Is yeah. that what yeah. you're saying, Dr. Hamby? <laughs> <Amy? laughs> wow, your, 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 wife, your wife must love when you come home after there, one Lee, Lee's my neighbor, so I'm going right. to go next door I'm and have be a in conversation. Big trouble. Yeah. Shouldn't I they have more cars outside? 
But it's interesting, you know, in Pat Lancioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, he actually starts with honest, robust dialogue and knowledge exchange. That's where we're at. It's really hard to get to commitment or actionable items without having that that fundamental. So that's a really interesting point. Now, one of the other things that we've brought up on previous radio shows is sometimes there are leaders that confuse authority with responsibility. So they, they authority is obviously inherent in their position, but responsibility is shared with the front line. And, and in many ways, the, the execution of strategic priorities is kind of an experiment. Like it depends on what you've encountered. How do you see that happen? And how, how if, if you see a leader that is kind of possessive on their authority and responsibility in your speed dating cycle, <laughs> what do you do to coach them? How do you help them understand uh, their collaboration with Frontline? A lot of that has to do with being vulnerable and, and being honest that we don't have all the answers. And, you know, I think my team sometimes probably wish I wouldn't say that as often as I do. <laughs> uh, but again, I think the degree to which a leader can say, look, I, this is the symptom that we're having. This is the issue we're trying to address. I think this is kind of a good place to start, but I don't really know. Uh, to me, if you don't do that in an organization, uh, you'll get a bad reputation pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had that. Um, and, and again, it comes up in some of these feedback sessions. So uh, you have to let people know, look, it's okay to be wrong. And because everybody knows you're wrong. The fact that you're the last one to admit it doesn't, is not really <laughs> not helping, helping the cause. So, mm-hmm. so I think, again, the, the next level where the, you know, the executive directors and the, the higher up middle level of management giving feedback to their senior team member is also an important thing. And again, we have that sort of built into our performance uh, appraisal process, but really more of a coaching uh, on an ongoing basis. If you, if you bring up something during your performance appraisal you haven't been talking about all year, then you're not doing it right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So leadership can be a fairly lonely experience, particularly the higher up in the organizational chain you get. So in addition to these kinds of mechanisms where you're having real-time feedback, you know, peer-to-peer feedback, are there other mechanisms that you're using internally to help uh, develop and coach leaders so that it's not such a lonely sort of isolated experience? Sure. We have uh, a lot of different leadership development courses. We have a lean internal lean program that we do. Uh, We have sort of mentorships. We have uh, different leadership groups, you know, the Toastmasters Club. Oh, right. Uh, we've got uh, Women's Leadership Alliance. So we have a variety of venues for up-and-coming leaders to meet with the senior leaders. And then the senior leaders spend a lot of time with each other doing the fun feedback that I was talking about. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, you're, you're right, it's a team sport. Uh, I think physicians are particularly challenged in that mm-hmm. area because – we're kind of socialized. We're the captain of the ship. Everything's our responsibility. And this idea of, you know, care is just too complicated now to, right. for any one individual to understand it. I think physicians have to go through a, a, a very particular process of evolution to know that it's not okay to have all the answers. Because mm-hmm. as a surgeon, that would be unthinkable That's to even right. suggest that possibility, even though every surgeon I know, and myself included, when you go home at night, that little voice in your head that casts all the doubt of all the 900 things you mm-hmm. wish you had done different at the end right. of the day, uh, we're socialized and not really talk about that as physicians. So I think physicians have a little bit higher hurdle they have to get right. over uh, to be a, a functional, uh, effective leader doing continuing private practice, or not private practice, but continuing clinical practice and being a leader I never could figure out how to do it. I, I do. I don't do any clinical work now, but we have some folks who do it both very well. And 
I'm very envious of them. Yeah. Uh, Cause it is a Kudos. really hard challenge. It, you know, being a good physician doesn't make you necessarily a good leader. Exactly. Uh, and there's a lot of things that may disadvantage you in that space. And so, uh, well, and time is one of them. I mean, well, sure. Characteristically, yeah. physicians don't have a lot of time, uh, and so yeah, that's that's challenging. Do you have a physicians institute or something that is starting to pull that? We kind do. Of stuff we together? have a, a, a multi-cycle phase one, phase two uh, physician leadership. We actually call it the Piedmont Leadership Academy because we we started originally for physicians, but we have a lot of non-physicians. Yeah. And so it's really our leadership academy is really the same for both, and we have outside folks come and teach it and we have internal classes and they have projects they have to do uh it's it's been it's been well received uh and it is very eye-opening for a practicing physician to realize man this stuff's hard there's mm -hmm. a lot it, there's, this is the whole thing right you know it's something to this right fascinating that's awesome yeah it's interesting i had mentioned before in our last week's show that we are doing some collaboration with morton hansen um who is one of the co-authors of the great series with jim collins and um he has been involved in the leadership of Apple's Leadership Institute. And so it's been really interesting to talk to him about what does that mean and how, how do you take these principles that these guys have chronicled right in their research and actually make it practical mm -hmm. and, and transferable to leaders. So more to come on that for the listeners. All right, we are right at the, the yeah. mark of the end of the show. So That's Duffy, right. All right, I'll wrap it up. Thanks so much, Dr. Hamby, for joining us another week. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, good luck in your in your position because it sounds like growth is around the corner. And good luck with juggling all that. <laughs> That's a lot to do. Um, we want to thank everybody who listens to Leader Dialogue. It is brought to you by the SOAR Vision Group and the Baldridge Foundation. We have a new live show every Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. If you can't listen live, we have it on businessradiox.com, leaderdialogue.com. On behalf of Ben, Lisa, and our producer, Mike, I'm Duffy Dixon, and we'd love to see you next time for Leader Dialogue here on Business Radio X.